Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. My name is Jeremy. And we're here to discuss X-Men number 56, the May 1969 issue titled, What is the Power? Let me tell you, Adam, the power is a new graphic artist who has splashed his way onto the title of this comic book. This is a pretty cool cover. So wait, that's it? That's you the... just answered the question, what is the power? We're done? Yeah. We'll, yeah. Uh, we'll see you next week when we uh, have another tale of the X-Men. When we answer, what is the Fury? <laughs> and it's just Nick Fury. who's was like, hey, hey, X-Men. <laughs> Uh, this is a gray man with a metal suit who's reaching up out of the red depths of the cover and clasping onto the X-Men logo. It is serious. He looks like a pirate, and he's got a pirate hat to me. Oh, yeah. He's saying, R, what is the power? <laughs> he's got red, fiery mouth, red, fiery eyes, and uh, some, like, metal hoops on his back to go with his little metal suspender outfit that he's wearing. But yeah, so the X-Men are kind of surrounding his feet. Uh, no sign of Alex Summers, but... Uh, Beast is looking rather portly. He is. Uh, very, very top-heavy, if you will. <laughs> Rotund. <laughs> um, yeah, so... A little uh, factoid about this cover is that it was the second cover submitted by Neil Adams. The first one was rejected. Do you have any idea what the first cover looked like? It's in the omnibus. Yeah? What does it look like? It's essentially the same, mm -hmm. except that the X-Men are tied to the X-Men logo. Oh, man. Why was that one rejected? Is it awful? Uh, no, it's it's good. It's uh, Martin Goodman, who owned Marvel at the time and still like reviewed all the covers. He... Uh, didn't like it because you couldn't read the title. Oh. Although, you can read the title. Is this, now I haven't really been paying attention, but is this the first cover where we're interacting with the with the logo? I think it might be, for, the, for, the, for this comic anyway. Yeah, for the X-Men. I mean, I know we had Angel flying over the logo for a while and uh, the strangest teens of all and such, but... I don't recall characters interacting with the with the logo like this. Like he's literally grabbing onto the logo. It's it's kind of neat. I like it. I like this cover. The other one's better. Oh well, okay. I've not. I've never seen the other ones. Oh man, you're missing <laughs> out. I suggest that you uh, use that for the cover art for this issue. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anyhow. I first read this story when I was maybe 10 or 11 years old when I got this Marvel masterpiece. It's not Masterworks, but it's like Masterpiece or something. Uh, and it's this hardbound book uh, with uh, oversized hardbound book printed on actual paper and not just newsprint. And uh, I think it's circa, I don't know, somewhere in the 80s. 
the thing is, the book that I have, and it doesn't really have too much on the inside talking about like what it actually is or what part of the series it is or anything like that. So I didn't know at the time. I mean, I knew that I was reading a classic X-Men tale, but I had no idea what issue it was because nowhere in it did it actually say what issue I was reading. <laughs> and not only that, it starts on this issue, which is uh, arguably midway through this story. And it ends about three or four issues later, which was midway through another story. Hmm. So it's a very odd compendium of comic books. But uh, uh, that's one of those books that I got from that place I like to talk about, the 20th century comic books. And the thing that upsets me so much about it is, uh, well, first of all, I paid three bucks for it, which I think is a bargain because it's a neat piece of comic book history. And I've never seen another one like it. I bet you they're super common. But... uh, uh, I read it so much, and it's got that standard book binding that the book binding actually separated in the middle. So that's sad. I'm sorry. Basically, all of the collectability is is gone. It's probably not a collector's item. <laughs> to me, it was. <laughs> well, anyways, let's open up this book and see what's going on. I can't wait to see some of that horrible, horrible artwork that we've been so accustomed to. <laughs> wait what's this what is it you're trying to set up <laughs> i open up this comic book and i see background perspective shadowing a sense of depth who is this man or woman why this is the penciling wizardry of neil adams oh Neil Adams, deliver us from mediocrity. <laughs> Herb Cooper is our letterer. We're just going to go in the backwards order. Tom Palmer is the inker. Roy Thomas is still on board as scripter. And Stanley, of course, is editing the book. But this is an amazing splash panel. Is it not, Adam? It's pretty cool. And it's only the back of the X-Men. We don't even see the front of them. Actually, I noticed there were a lot of backs of X-Men in this issue. Oh, really? No. Since you mentioned that. I'll have to keep my eyes open for it. So uh, to to tie up last issue, uh, Alex had fired off his power and blasted off the Pharaoh from the top of the pyramid. Apparently the X-Men now have captured the Pharaoh and got into their fantastic car or whatever the heck it is. And they are flying. I don't know where they're flying, but they spot some archaeological diggings and decide to go land. Because there might be somebody who they can turn their captive, the living pharaoh, to. That doesn't make any sense. No, it's pretty silly. Maybe they're running out of fuel. Isn't Cyclops (laughs) still wanted for murder? Uh, I don't think so. (laughs) Wouldn't they take him back to New York and be like, hey, 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 see this guy that you said I killed? I didn't. He's right here. And oh, by the way, he's a bad guy. Put him in prison, please. That, That whole murder thing. I don't think it's coming back. You don't think they're going to resolve that little uh, storyline that they opened up? It'll actually get resolved this month in X-Men. Oh. (laughs) They finally arrested Cyclops. Hey, we've been looking for you for quite a while. (laughs) Well, actually, in Marvel time, it's been like two years. That's 40 40 years of X-Men. A little information from the Omnibus about Neil Adams. Okay. He was a friend of Jim Steranko. Okay. And Jim Steranko suggested he come over to work for Marvel and try their uh, their method, the Marvel method of writing where they do the plot and then the writing. We've talked about that before. Mm-hmm. And so he told Stan Lee that he wanted to be on the 
least selling title. Okay. And that's how he got on X-Men. Where did he come from? Uh, DC. And I think he's still working for for DC during his tenure at X-Men. Okay. Okay, so uh, we get uh, the Pharaoh. He's tied up. They've landed because they're looking for somebody to turn the Pharaoh over to. It looks pretty vacant. So they're all getting into scouting formation to see if they can find somebody to turn the Pharaoh over to. Alex is kind of like, hey, what about me? I'm the all-American shock treatment, the walking earthquake. Who says, what about me? What about Alex Summers? He's like, he's one of these people that refers to himself in the first person. <laughs> Maybe it's because he called everybody else out by name. Yeah, it's a writing thing. Yeah. It's called bad writing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, the art has drastically improved, but uh, we still have Roy Thomas writing, so it's <laughs> not too much of an improvement. Actually, I would have to say, though, that story and dialogue-wise, this tends to be a tiny bit better. I disagree. Really? <laughs> okay. But we'll get to that. Maybe it's the artwork that's kind of, like, turning me around because I feel like the story is just, I mean, it's still a little cheesy and goofy, but I feel like it's a little bit better than it has been in the past. Oh, I think the pacing is improved by the artwork. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay, that could be. And maybe that's what uh, uh, Roy Thomas has to deal with. He's looking at these panels and he's like, oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) i got to write some stuff that works with this. And i got to say, these hands are amazing, man. You can see, like, the veins in his hands and the knuckle and the bone definition. It's good stuff. Relax, yeah. relax Jeremy. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, I'm just not used to it. And I, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, just I, I'm normally used to like an outline of a hand that's uh, like colored in with fleshy color, and that's it. The attention to detail. We get an excellent picture of the Pharaoh after Cyclops says, "Hey, Alex, uh, we'll figure out that power of yours." And the Pharaoh is like, "Power? What do any of you know about power?" We go from the goofy, cartoony pharaoh of the last couple of issues to, like, a real guy here with real facial definitions. He looks scary in this panel. He does. He looks He looks, He looks. looks like a improved-upon villain. He, oh looks, he looks vicious. Yeah. The living pharaoh alone knows the true secret of the abilities you both possess, just as he knows that you are, in truth, brothers. Again, this feels like bad writing. Well, it would be a lot cooler uh, if the story were started out with the living Pharaoh being like, I have to get those two because they're brothers and that they're only their powers united can can open up the thing that gives me even more power. But that's not the case. As we learned before, he overheard Beast talking uh, while he was on top of the pyramid about the brothers. Right. Without the backstory, it's kind of neat. But with the backstory, kind of sucks. Uh, But he says, fear not, you shall learn the secrets from my lips in the hour that you die. Angel is scouting around the area for signs of life, and he comes back to the X-Men having found none, when suddenly Marvel Girl shouts out, Angel, all of you, duck! And that's when Howard the Duck comes out. (laughs) Howard the Duck. Yeah. That was a great movie. No. (laughs) <laughs> that was a, that was a, I, I never read the comic, but I imagine it was good. Oh, probably better than the movie. When I was a kid, though, I mean, it came out in an era where the movie theater was my babysitter. So there's <laughs> there's three movies I watched during uh, the semester of classes in which my mom dropped me off at the movie theater. And they were Pee-wee's Big Adventure, Back to the Future, and Howard the Duck. 
And I watched them all over and over and over and over. That informs so much about you. (laughs) Are things becoming a little bit more clear for you? Completely. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And I think one time... They didn't have any of those movies at the movie theater, and I had to watch, like, Out of Africa, and I fell asleep. <laughs> it was, like, the worst, like, what is going on? Nothing is funny. <laughs> and I fell Again, asleep. that explains a lot. <laughs> Anyhow. That's your sensitive side coming through. <laughs> Just, this is my sense of... <laughs> 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 yeah, so that's enough about me. Duck, she shouts. The tomb. They were in the tomb, and a loud kazak comes blasting out of the tomb, Followed by a bunch more of uh, the Pharaoh's henchmen. With guns. Oh, so actually last issue the Pharaoh said, Run, run, you shall know the time when it is right, or something like that, didn't he? Right. Yeah. Something so, about the sun. Yeah, so now this is the right time, I guess. Somehow the yes. Pharaoh knew that the X-Men were too dumb to take him back to Manhattan and they'd be flying around this pyramid and... I like the next two panels, so Cyclops kind of lifts up his head, and he's like, oh, I'm not I'm not stunned. I'm ready to fight. But then somebody takes their fantastic car and bops him over the head with it. Now, I was trying to figure out, is it the X-Men's car, or is it did the Sphinx guys also have a car? So originally I thought it was the X-Men's car, which would make a lot of sense and would kind of screw the X-Men, right, if the Pharaoh and his men, uh, minions grabbed the X-Men car. I don't know. Let's read on. It looks like it's the X-Men's car. I'm a little okay. confused because later on the X-Men travel, but I'm not sure if they travel in their own car. We'll have to keep track of that. Yeah, okay. Or lose track of it. Mm, all right. So anyways, uh, Cyclops gets hit in the back of the head by one of the Fantastic Cars, which is kind of funny. Yeah. So he's out. Yeah, he's out cold. Beast jumps into the back of the Fantastic Car, jumping on the driver's shoulders, knocking him into another Sphinx guard, I guess. Lots of random Sphinx guards that all look the same. Be not dismayed, O Pharaoh. We are more than enough to defeat that brute, to which the Pharaoh responds, You desert swine! And I, and again, I gotta say, uh, another awesome rendering of the Pharaoh. Never have I seen a tongue drawn with so much detail <laughs> in an X-Men comic book. You can see the top and the bottom and the front. I mean, it looks like a three-dimensional tongue. It's amazing. Only Alex Summers concerns the living pharaoh. He commands his league of Sphinx guards. And he's pointing at the unconscious Alex Summers, who is laying beneath what I think might be the X-Men's fantastic car. Okay. And it's blue, and, and the one that the pharaoh minions are flying around on are red. All right, all right. But you never can tell in these old comic books, because sometimes, like... Oh, the sun is on the east, so we're going to shade the car red. But when the sun's on the west, the car is shaded blue. You know what I mean? You can never really trust car colors. Right. And in fact, they, they take they handily take care of Beast by blasting him off of the car. And then on the next page, they load Alex Summers into the, presumably their car. which Into is a blue, blue car, which may or may not be the X-Men's car. So, yeah, I'm not really sure if we've got cha- color-changing cars or if they stole the X-Men's car. Either way, they load up um, Alex and the Pharaoh and some minions, leaving the rest of the X-Men unconscious. Uh, Only Bobby wakes up and says, you don't have any powers anymore, so I'm going to blast you. But it turns out that he does have his powers. Oh, he just says, and here's where the Iceman makes you holler, 
uncle. <laughs> okay, that's bad writing. That's terrible. <laughs> I think I I think my mind refused to process that <laughs> when I first read it, and so this is the first time I'm actually seeing this. Yeah, <laughs> uncle. So Iceman recoils by his uh, zapped icy battering ram, like so much cotton candy. <laughs> All right, so that's two marks against the writing right there. It turns out that the pharaoh is not powerless, which I guess it's sort of confusing. Last issue, he lost his powers, which they made like an effort to point out that he stopped being able to shoot from his hands. Mm-hmm. Now he can shoot from his hands again. Yeah. So I'm I'm just I'm actually doing a little bit of quick research here. If you go back to the first panel of the book, you will see that the X Men car has one motor jet thing and no fins. And the car that's escaping from the X-Men's battle has two motor jet things and fins. Where does everybody get these awesome flying cars? I asked this last issue. I, <laughs> Reed Richards is just, he's like, hey, I got a sale on fantastic cars. Come on down. Yeah, but where did the Pharaoh gang get them? I don't know. Because this is the first time we're seeing them with any really sort of uh, um, technology. Did they even have guns in the previous issues? I think they had guns. I don't know if they had, like, super laser guns, but I I feel like somebody was carrying a gun. Yeah, because now they have super laser guns that are blasting X-Men out of the sky and stuff. Well, so it's Angel who uh, comes back to consciousness, and he says, oh, I'm going to get those Jokers. And so he flies off after the Pharaoh and his goons. The Pharaoh and the goons immediately spot him behind them and start shooting concussy missiles at him causing the angel to fall out of the sky. And Angel says, he, he looks like he's paralyzed. I guess he's concussed or whatever. <laughs> but he says as he follows, my son, the superhero, they knocked me right out of the sky and the ball game. Like, is he crazy right now? <laughs> like, none of those three things went together. I feel like my son, the superhero, is a reference to something. Uh, yeah, I guess. Maybe it's a 60s thing. But he's still, he's kind of still speaking in fragmented sentences. Be lucky if I can save my own feathered fern. I'm sure it's like the equivalent of saying wah, wah, wah. I get that, but I mean, unless that's what they said in the 60s, it would only make sense if it's, you know, followed or, or I mean, backed up with uh, like, oh, my mom would be so proud of me right now, but that's not. But anyways, I, I agree with your with your take on it. So Angel's falling to the ground, and we cut to Cyclops leaning very closely in to try to wake up Jean Grey. Jean! Jean! If she's hurt, they'll pay! They'll pay! And and then he says, no, she's coming too! Which kind of doesn't make sense. (laughs) No! She's coming too! Huh. Maybe this was his moment. He's like, X-Men aren't looking. She's unconscious. (laughs) Stakes are high. I'm going to grab me a boob. <laughs> no! She's coming too. All right, fine. Gene, speak to me. I was so worried. <laughs> Beast scratches his head and says, She appears to be basically intact, Scotty. But where is our pinioned compere? If you mean Angel, he went that away. But that's the last I saw before I blacked out. So what Iceman is saying is that he was shot at by the laser where all the X-Men got knocked out. He got knocked out. He woke up to see them escaping. He shot an icicle at them. It got blocked by the pharaoh, and then he blacked out. I think a chunk of ice debris hit him in the head. 
<laughs> as good as I can figure. Poor Iceman. He's having a rough day. That's all I'm saying. Uh, Cyclops says, Gene, I know you're still stunned and confused and just a woman. <laughs> oh, I mean, but if you could uh, uh, locate Warren mentally, I'll try, Scott. What a gal. There's nobody like her, thinks Iceman to himself. And we get a really neat uh, mental telepathy scanning panel here. How come Iceman hasn't been having any thoughts of Lorna? That's a good question. Like, oh, I met this girl who's Magneto's daughter who seems to have magnetic powers who I brought back to the mansion. And Like, I wonder what Lorna's doing. Or, yeah. boy, Lorna sure is great. Or, boy, I miss I her. I sure miss Lorna. Yeah, no, nothing. Anyways, this panel is like a, it's like a big green brain, I think. Yeah, it's really cool. And in the front of it is Marvel Girl in a really little bitty section of the page. And then expanding upward are her, her little face mask and then her face, and then there's eyes surrounding her as well. It's really neat and kind of reminiscent of some of the old Professor Xavier mental scanning things, but it's Marvel Girl, so it's neater. It's very cool. The only thing that I find amusing is that the second Marvel Girl down looks like she has a mustache. It does kind of look like she's got the Fu Manchu mustache. Like she's doing a little Frenchy mustache there. <laughs> But anyways, it's a, it's neat. So she's she uses this uh, cerebral exertion to contact Warren, which she succeeds in doing. Good old genie. I knew you'd locate me sooner or later. Turns out that Iceman, or uh, Angel rather, was flying. He managed not to hit the ground and still follow the Pharaoh's jet, this time lower to the ground so that they wouldn't spot him. Another neat thing is Marvel Girl is following him mentally. So you see in the first panel her side-by-side side with Angel incommunicado. And then in the second one, uh, she's up in the sky, like looking down on him while he flies by a camel. <laughs> yeah, the camel's kind of random. But... I think Neil Adams is like, you know what I want to draw? I want to draw a camel. That's a pretty darn good camel. Now let's put Angel next to it. It's an impressive camel. So the next panel, again, we're not doing these big colorful red or blue backgrounds uh, we get another temple with the pyramid and the pharaohs sitting there and an angel in the foreground so it's another neat panel according to angel it is identical to the first this temple is identical and yet miles from the other site i'm not sure how he knows it's identical i mean maybe it's similar uh, he did a once over of the other one and he's got a <laughs> photographic memory all right he lands to do some sneaking around, and he says to Gene that he's got a hunch that he's getting close to the mystery, so he's going to break contact so that he can have full concentration. You're on your own. Which, if I were Marvel girl, I'd be like, you can't break communication with me. <laughs> I'm the one with telepathy, and I'm not on my own. You are. <laughs> so pardon me if I stay with you. But she breaks connection i guess on the next page we get alex and the pharaoh alex is tied up to some electrical contraption in some sort of glass sarcophagus and i gotta tell you the pharaoh looks mighty pleased with himself he does and again he looks real there's so much definition going on except for his chest his chest looks a little dumb but the rest of him looks kind of cool so he's talking about like well this is the time I told you I'd I'd tell you uh the secret in the hour of your death and it's coming soon so 
Here goes. So here it comes. <laughs> I was an archaeologist, but I am also a mutant. What? I thought he was a pharaoh. That seems to fly in the face of what we know before, but okay. All pharaohs are mutants, and only mutants can challenge my power. I guess he never said, like, I am a pharaoh. Well, that's true. And that's so random because, I mean, spoilers, but nowhere in the book was he like, and so one day at an archaeological dig, I found this pendant, whatever you want to call it, and it changed everything for me. And it made me realize that my power was great and I needed to do good things with it. He just throws this in, like, I'm an archaeologist and a mutant. We get this strange story about how his power is somehow connected to Alex's and that Alex seems to be like a damper for his own power. And he, he says that's because of the cosmic rays which give each of us the power. So, I mean, this feeds directly into what I was talking about a couple of issues ago. The Pharaoh is the summer's boy's father. Yeah. <laughs> right? There's no other explanation. Well, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> Maybe. As your power began to awaken, mine did wane. You are the sole threat to my supremacy. Supremacy. Yes, <laughs> that too. Um, that's kind of a it. It's a random story, but I mean, it makes it. It's a. It's a whole lot more interesting than I'm a pharaoh. Mutants are pharaohs, and uh, only a pharaoh can can challenge me. Therefore, you, Alex Summers, as the only mutant I recognize, must die. I feel though his story has been changed. Like, <laughs> first he wanted to kill Alex Summers, and he was going to do it with a knife. Mm -hmm. Then he was decided that he needed to bring Alex to presumably Egypt or wherever they are, and they needed to store him until that. And now he's going with that story. He closes uh, a glass cover over the top of Alex and somehow siphons out cosmic rays. I'm not really sure what's happening here, but the gist is that Alex's powers are now being dampened and the Pharaoh is now getting the full blast of the powers that he either maybe he had before or maybe he has more than he had before. Not really sure, but he's got, he's more powerful than previously. He slams down the sarcophagus and the chamber is absorbing all of the cosmic rays that are stored maybe in Alex. Alex is a battery for cosmic rays, maybe. Uh, and he does not share the potency anymore. And he uh, is now alone the power. This kind of makes me wonder why, when he had Alex in the last issue, he needed to, like, I guess the time wasn't right. And so he went and, like, sat down to meditate. So I guess now the power, the time is right. I, last time it seemed so time sensitive though, because he's like, "Oh, just a couple more minutes is all I need." What do you mean they escaped? This might wreck everything. Right. So I guess maybe maybe there was like two windows of opportunity in, during this day. Yeah, and he just happened to catch the second one. <laughs> but anyways, uh, I guess Angel had been watching all of this because he comes flying out of the pyramid just in time to see the X-Men pull up in the X-Men's fantastic car and says, get back playmates before it's too late. <laughs> what kind of danger is Warren warning us against? And then bursting through earth and massive stone as though shredding the fabric of time itself uh, comes a giant Pharaoh. And now he's got gray skin. 
He's got gray skin and a metal outfit, just like we described on the cover. Oh, yeah. I want to ask, so his costume now is completely different. So it's not like his costume grew with his body. I would say that he ripped out of his costume, but had the wherewithal to say, you know what, I'm going to grow to about 50 times my size. So I'm going to make sure that there's a metal costume waiting for me. So I'm not just hanging out with my goody bits. Hmm. Yeah, don't you think? Well, 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 I guess we'll see. Where else would this costume come from? Well, we'll have to see if he changes size again and whether or not his costume changes size with him. Okay. Good Lord, fly higher, man. Fly higher, Cyclops says to Angel. There's another shot of the back of the X-Men. Yeah, good point. And the Pharaoh grabs on to the Angel and says, I was called the Pharaoh, but now I'm much more... Now I am the living monolith. Now, heretofore, the X-Men will call him the monolith, which I I was pretty impressed by. Like, he just kind of, like, changes his name, and the X-Men just go, he's the monolith now. <laughs> I'd be calling him, like, the pharaoh, the, uh, I mean, the monolith. I mean, these guys are, they're good with these name changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're They're respectful. Of uh, exactly of people's wishes. Oh, he wants to be called Monolith. No problem. So Cyclops blasts him in the face, which uh, allows Angel to escape quickly. And the Pharaoh is shooting at the X-Men. Cyclops dodges out of the way from the Pharaoh's blasts, thinking to himself, his mutant powers have all returned. And I fell. And I feel. What? No, he fell. And I fell, dodging that blast. Okay, we needed to hear that. I wasn't going to read that because yeah. it's pretty pretty silly. Yeah. Oh, I fell! <laughs> <laughs> and I fell! Oh, man. I hope nobody saw that. You know, it was realistic. Sometimes when I fall, I think to myself, <laughs> I fell. I suppose. And so the, the monolith now, he says that... Uh, he is standing, uh, that he's he's basically going to come get them, and that uh, Cyclops will be the first victim of the living monolith. But all of a sudden, he finds that he cannot move, and we find out that it's Marvel Girl, and she's using her mental telekinesis to hold him in check. Yeah, she's using her telekinesis again. It's been a while. Beast comes swinging out of nowhere and hits him in the shin, and uh, the monolith falls and is actually kind of pleased with what has happened because now he is able to grab Marvel Girl because she's in arm's width. And I have to say that the expression on this guy's face reminds me a lot of Megatron for some reason. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Do you see it? Yeah. I imagine the Megatron voice coming out of him and everything. <laughs> Marvel Girl says, my powers couldn't support his falling bulk why would she want to support his falling bulk well she wanted to probably like keep him away from her so she saw him following falling and she's like no 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 i gotta keep them away from me hmm. and but his his he had too much momentum too much weight and collapsed her power or something like that that's all i can figure out anyways meanwhile inside the laboratory alex is still inside the glass sarcophagus and apparently running low on oxygen Starts thinking about how he was able to use some powers before. Maybe under this kind of stress that he's under, he could, he might be able to pull something off. And then his eyes start to glow. He's kind of wondering, like, how does this shared power work? And, yeah, some stress and stuff. And, yeah, his eyes literally explode. It's kind of a neat panel. As if, like, maybe the power is fully awakening within him 
and this will be the snap that changes everything. We cut back to the living monolith, who now has Gene in one hand and is blasting Cyclops and Beast with the other. And he's he's talking about uh, Horus and Orisis and Ramses and all these other people, and that he's going to restore the dynasties. But while he's talking, Marvel Girl notices that his voice and his grip are both getting weaker. But why, when he is on the verge of victory? And then suddenly he drops Marvel Girl, but Angel sweeps in to catch her. The monolith is getting smaller, she says. And behind him, the temple, it's starting to crumble. Now, this is where I talk about the costume, because, well, first of all, we get an interesting ass shot of Cyclops. Yeah, here's another back shot. Just a terrible angle. Just of Cyclops' ass. <laughs> but in the foreground, there is the living monolith's headdress, headpiece. Yeah, it looks like it's gigantic. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, he he shrunk. And behind the headpiece are a couple of feet sticking out, a couple of naked feet. Yeah. Which I actually didn't notice until just now. So I, I think that there's some metal suit pieces laying around here. Some so he had a giant suit prepared. Yeah. That's uh, good planning. Cyclops uh, notes that the not only has the pharaoh shrinked to normal size, but the temple is collapsing behind him. And Alex is in there. And then he says, Alex, my brother. <laughs> Remember? Remember Alex? He, he's the one who's my brother? And B says, no, because we didn't know about him until yesterday. You selfish, <laughs> selfish man. But uh, but actually, Beast is the voice of reason and says, you can't help him. Nothing can. And Cyclops immediately gives up and says, you're right. All our mutant powers can't raise the dead. And then Marvel Girl literally runs in. <laughs> her leg is flying up behind her. Perhaps he wasn't inside, Scott. Perhaps. And then wait. There in the smoking debris. It's Alex. And he's alive. No, keep back, all of you. Don't come near me. It's true what the pharaohs said. I've got the power, and I can't control it. His eyes are glowing. Beast points out that Alex is Cyclops' brother. <laughs> That's your brother over there. Cyclops agrees. That's definitely his brother. That's Alex, my brother. It is. Next, disaster. So one would think from this panel that... He has the same power as the Cyclops. Oh, because his eyes are on fire? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I were in 1968 or 9 or whenever this issue came out, I would think that he's got the same powers as Cyclops. Yeah, or, or somehow very similar, some sort of eye-based blasts. Well, Adam, it's not over yet. We have the stunning conclusion of the angel origin, which I think we should uh, just leap right into. Okay, this one's called The Flying A-Bomb. I wish it was called The Flying F-Bomb, to be honest, because <laughs> that would be awesome. Angel in The Flying F-Bomb. He's just running around swearing. <laughs> Who is that vulgar man with wings? I'm just not happy with him. So when we left off last issue, Cyclops and Iceman were waiting at Angel's apartment or what is he the avenging angels apartment yes to offer him to join the team of x-men to which he says no i i go alone sorry guys and then the professor telepathically contacts iceman and cyclops and says you must capture him at all costs because he is the flying a-bomb 
Oh. See, I didn't read that little text box. I only read the flying A-bomb. And the story makes a little bit more sense. doesn't make it any better, but it makes a little bit more sense. <laughs> we should mention that Roy Thomas wrote it, Werner Roth is our artist, and Sam Granger is our inker. So, no colorist for this one. Yeah, no no love for the colorist. And it is in color, so you know, it's not and black. And no white. letterer either. <laughs> they don't even care at this point. They're like, can we just finish this stupid story? The letterer and the colorist are like, look, we don't care. As long as the checks don't bounce, you don't need to put her name in this one. Uh, yeah, so they swing into action to go take him, and the avenging angel punches his chair. You heard the professor, Iceman, take him, shouts Cyclops, and then Angel's like, no, you guys can't take me, I'll take you, bashes his chair, and Iceman gets out of the way, and then Cyclops in the next panel says, hold it, son, we're friends, not enemies, <laughs> to which Angel says, but you just said, <laughs> Iceman is cowering behind the couch. Well, that's because he just got punched at by the angel. But anyways, the angel goes after Cyclops, and uh, Iceman whips up an ice shield, which Angel punches and hurts his little fist. To which he says, So it was you, the one who looks like a juvenile snowman. Well, I don't mind getting my fist chilly for a second in order to polish you off. This is He's gone too far, menacing Bobby. Still, Professor Xavier says to use the kid gloves, uh, Cyclops thinks. Cyclops decides to shoot the skylight out so that it will fall on Angel. I don't know what that would do, but it just kind of gives him an escape uh, hatch, if you ask me. <laughs> the downstairs neighbors wake up and say, what was that? Must be a party. Teenagers, they're all alike. And they don't go upstairs. Nope. Fred and Alma, this is just it. They're like, we better mind our own business, even though our tenant is... Upstairs throwing a party in the middle of the night I wonder if you go to the official handbook Of the Marvel Universe and look up Fred and Alma If you'll see these two <laughs> The Avenging Angels Landlords um, This is where The professor telepathically contacts Iceman and says Bobby you're the closest Grab his vial in his belt Which is the same vial that he uh, Swooped up from the gang That was attacking The chemical lab last issue Right, which he was going to turn into the police. Yes, which he did not do. Angel notes that uh, Iceman is talking to somebody, and it doesn't appear to be either Angel or Cyclops, so he comments on that. And then he knocks Iceman out. He punches him in the face. And Iceman is down for the count. Iceman a lightweight in this issue. Yeah, so the professor, he, uh, he says, well, I can't contact Bobby, and I can't contact Cyclops, so... I guess it's up to me. <laughs> like, why Why didn't we just start there? Yeah, yeah. Especially considering the next few panels. Hear me, winged mutant, and heed my words. Oh? The professor is contacting Angel, and he says, what kind of trick? And the Cyclops says, no trick, hothead. Listen to the voice. <laughs> Listen to the voice in your head. It's It's not crazy. Something about the, your voice that makes me believe you. But why is time so short? The professor reveals to Angel that the vial that he picked up contains a new untried nuclear explosive that is activated by Angel's mutant body. What? <laughs> he discovered it while mentally probing Angel's body. The, profess yep. the professor's gross. Totally. Well, anyways, Angel says, uh, it does feel strange. 
if there's even a chance that that voice is telling the truth, dot, 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 I've got to get it out of here, where it can do no harm. At which point the professor reveals that the only thing that can deactivate the vial is freezing cold. So Angel deduces that the only way he can do that is to get into the uppermost portion of our atmosphere to destroy it. And he does comment on the way up like, boy, if I hadn't slugged that Iceman guy, he could have handled it. But here I go. To which I say, don't blame yourself, Angel. The professor had all the information and he made the decision. It's a good point. The professor should have contacted him right from the beginning, realizing the danger of the situation, and said, please hand the vial to Iceman. Yeah. Actually, he could have mentally controlled Angel to do that. He could have done any of that. Yeah. Mind wipe. Huh? What's this vial for? I ought to give it to you. <laughs> Thank you. Well, anyways, he flies up, and he's like, uh, it's up to me now, and I'm no longer Mr. Confidence of 1963. So his ego's getting crushed a little bit, and he's feeling, I guess, a little bit of humility. And uh, comments about how cold it is in this, this portion of the atmosphere. He reaches as high as he can go, and the and professor says, if I'm correct, snap the top off of the capsule. That will deactivate it. And if it doesn't, scratch one angel, huh? Well, here goes nothing. Snap. So that's, that's nice of angel. I mean, he's willing to sacrifice himself. It worked! Blacking out. Can't stay awake. So cold. You must stay awake, lad, no matter what. Don't close your eyes for a moment. Trying not to. I... I did it! I saved a city I endangered. And then the voice saved me. <laughs> now to find out what's going on. And so Angel meets the professor and joins the team. The end. Gee, that's really it. I... I have to imagine that when they wrote the first chapter, they had probably... They had to have had some... Like five part, five page, you know, 25 page thing uh, underscored with like the angel's first nemesis, which could have been like uh, the conquistador or whoever Cyclops' guy was. But I think when they got to the second part, they're like, no, scrap all of that. Let's get this thing over as quickly as possible. <laughs> well, keep in mind, Arnold Drake wrote the first part. Who wrote this one? It was Arnold Drake, wasn't uh, it? This was Roy Thomas. And uh, I think they're trying to get rid of the backup story. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think they're wanting more room for um, the Neil Adams, would right. be my guess. I, I don't know. But uh, I'm still holding out for the uh, Marvel Girl origin story. We'll, we'll see. Uh, I scanned the letters section, and one of them that struck me was, you kill Professor X, but the first chance you get, you bring back Magneto. If you can bring back villains, why not heroes? You could say that he was put in suspended animation, like Cap, until scientists find a cure for his disease. I implore you, beg you, plead you, sheesh. And if that doesn't work, I demand you bring back Professor X. And so the editor writes back some blah, 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 funny, funny, not really that funny joke, and says, well... Do the hosts of Marveldom Assembled really want to see Professor X return to the land of the living? Or is it just nostalgia for one of the most truly unique superheroes of all time? Let us know. So, again, they're actually uh, they're writing by consensus, it seems. <laughs> Which I guess we podcast by consensus. If, someone, if, a, if a multitude of people were to tell us to do something slightly different, I bet you we'd change it. 
Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so maybe it just makes sense. But anyways, it literally looks like the stage is being set up for the return of Professor X. Or at least the editors aren't like, no, it's completely out of the question. Professor X will never come back. He's dead. Get over it. Right. It's already been established that they can make him come back if the outcry is there. <laughs> yeah. My outcry would be like, how did Magneto come back? We saw his head inches away from pointy rocks. Why is he still alive? And I'll accept anything. <laughs> Literally like, oh, he found a magnetic wave and floated off on it. Like, okay, that makes sense. At least you're trying to come up with an explanation. Well, maybe we'll find out next time Magneto appears. Maybe we won't. Next issue, the Sentinels live. What? This is the section of the podcast in which we enter your names from the Facebook. Joshua Mayberry. Edward Gibson III. Alex Valdez. Mallory Luchoro. Devin Ramos. Rebecca Ann Miller. Tony Borer. Wesley Hansen. Michelle Biddix-Simmons. Reynard Papa. Bud Newman. Ed Moore. Jason Venable. Snicked. Oh, Bakht War Emron Sheik. Blair Brown. Richard O'Shea. Tina Salazar. Anna Barnell. Josh Schmidt. He's my friend. And listener. Thanks, Josh. Peter Watson. Atul Shestra. Alice Mana. Kareem Andrade. Holden Atreides. Jack State. Don Cameron Williams. Brandon Perdue. Matthew McChesney. There you have it. Those are the Facebook listeners that have joined us since last we did this little exercise. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And, uh, you know, if you could all do me a favor, or, uh, I guess me and Adam a favor, and just tell one of your friends about this podcast that you're listening to. Let it spread like a virus. <laughs> <laughs> In other news... We have a tweeter. Our solicits for additional staffing on the Danger Room have not gone unheard. Yes, we put out a call and it was answered. We had about 20 or 30 applicants, but we narrowed it down to one final contestant. That's not true at all. We had one person who volunteered <laughs> and we're happy to have him along. Yeah, so there you go. We have a tweeter and we're very happy about it. Adam, are you going to tell the folks what his, our tweeter's name is? Uh, yeah, Edward Gibson III. There. So uh, next time you're uh, commenting or tweeting or whatever, uh, give him some props. There you go. Uh, www.redcatproductions.com forward slash Danger Room. Uh, or go out to iTunes and type in Danger Room or X-Men, and uh, one of the very first links there on the podcast will get you to us. We're looking for a little bit more feedback under the iTunes feed. We seem to be just stuck at 26, but we'd like to see some more out there. It uh, makes us feel good about what we do. And uh, you can also follow us at Danger Room Go. Yeah. Oh, okay. There you go. Follow us there. Anywhere else they can get to us, Adam? Stitcher. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're newly on Stitcher, so you can go there, and uh, there's many benefits to using Stitcher, I'm sure. I, I, there might be. <laughs> and if you figure out what those are, just let us know. Well, everybody, until next week, the danger room is closed. You got the touch. You got the power.